My family and I have lived here in Portland for, in Beaverton really, uh, for two and a half years now. And before we moved here, everybody was warning us about the weather. Everybody was warning us about the rain. It rains all the time. It rains all the time. And we said, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. We're going to be okay. But now I'm starting to believe you guys a little bit. (laughs) It's pretty rainy here. But this last week, oh my goodness, we've had a couple of days in the sunshine. And and I don't know, my poor little heart started to think, maybe the rain is over. Maybe we're there. Maybe we're at springtime. Maybe we're going to see summer. Maybe we're starting to see the buds come out. Maybe the rain is over. Of course it's not over. Of course it's not summer yet. Of course not. But we need those days of sunshine every now and then. It's just like a little preview, just a little bit of, hey, summer is coming. Don't give up hope entirely, right? Every now and then we need those previews of sunshine to know that rain isn't all that there is, that there is coming a summer. I've shared with you guys a lot about my life and you've gotten to know a little bit more about me over the last couple of years. You know that I pretty much was raised by taekwondo from the age of like zero to 16. You know that I have kind of a difficult family life and our first family life, you know a little bit more about that. Um, There's a lot more of to tell on that as well. One thing that you might not know about me, because I've kept it hidden for most of my childhood and teenage life, is that I am a huge comic book nerd. I love comic books. And something happened towards the end of my high school years. Something happened towards the beginning of my college years. There was a comic comic book movie renaissance and it was the most beautiful era in the world (laughs) and I could come out as a comic book nerd in all my nerdiness and all of a sudden the things that I think are cool are cool everywhere I remember I remember the first time they um, said it was really starting with like the x-men movies I remember the first time I was x-men That's my favorite comic book. I love the X-Men. And I remember that they were going to have a preview for the X-Men movie at some other teenage movie. And I I said to my friends, let's go see this movie. And they're like, why? And I was like, because I got to see the X-Men preview. This is before YouTube was everything, and so if you wanted to see a preview for a movie, you had to go to the movies. And I love going and seeing the previews, especially for all the comic book movies that are coming out. I get excited. My imagination is excited about what they could possibly do with some of my favorite comic book heroes. And when you go and see the preview, it's really the makers showing off, right? It's the writers and the makers showing off what they can do. And so for two and a half minutes, they show you everything that they can do with your favorite characters. It's not the movie yet, right? It's not the full story. You don't get the full blast of the story, but you just get a tiny little glimpse of what the creators can do, and it excites you. It gets you moving a little bit. My kids and family, we all went to Disney World this last summer. Um, My daughter Clementine had a -a make-a-wish, and so when they asked her, what do you wish for, 
I knew what she would ask for. I wish to be a princess. I wish to go to Disney World. And so she shared that story with Make-A-Wish. They said, we're going to make it happen for you. We're going to give you seven days in Orlando. It's going to be the best thing ever. And so once they said, yes, we will grant your wish, Joanna and I looked at each other and we said, "Uh uh-oh. Our kids have seen like one Disney movie. They have no idea what they're in for. So we had to start practicing Every night we watched a different Disney movie until they were all caught up. If I wanted my kids to fully enjoy Disney World, they needed to know what they were getting themselves into. So every night, Aladdin, Lion King, Snow White, all the stuff, right? So that they could get fully appreciate Disney World when they got there, right? We need these previews. We need these practices before we ever get to the main event. In the, Hebrew text, in the Hebrew text, the Old Testament, we call it, God says to a nation of slaves, the Israelites, he says, I've got something good in store for you. I've got, let's call it the promised land. It's a land that they said is flowing with milk and honey. When I was a kid, I always imagined like, ugh, rivers of honey? That would be really weird and dirty. It's not like that. It's a metaphor for a land that is sweet, for a land that is plentiful, for a land that isn't, doesn't have all the, the oppression and the pain and the violence of Egypt. We are getting out of here. We're going to the promised land. So the Israelite slaves, they said, yeah, sign me up. We are in. God sends Moses. Moses comes in. He does the 10 plagues to get Pharaoh's attention, says, let these people go. Pharaoh finally relents, and he takes this nation of slaves out of Egypt. One problem, there is a Red Sea. So God says, no problem, watch this. Moses raises his hands, splits the Red Sea. Can you imagine being one of those Israelites walking through the Red Sea saying, oh my goodness, if God is doing this, then I can't wait to get to the promised land. I can't wait for this. They get to the other side of the Red Sea. The Red Sea closes behind them. They look forward. We're out of Egypt, all done. And they go, awesome. Where's the promised land? (laughs) This just looks like desert. This just looks like desert. God says, there is a promised land, of course. It's on the other side of this desert. We have to go for a walk. The Israelites go, oh, you didn't tell me anything about this walking business. (laughs) You didn't tell me anything about this. When I was a kid, uh, my parents also took me to Disney World. uh, And we embarked on a three-day driving journey from Colorado Springs down through Texas. I don't know why we took the southern route in the summertime all the way to Orlando. And I didn't have what my kids had. We didn't have access to every Disney movie at our fingertips anytime we wanted. And so what I knew about Disney World was very minimal, very minimal. I had no capacity for how much fun it could possibly be. And so when we get into this car and my dad says, we're going to Disney World, I go, okay, dad, I trust you. What's it like? And he's just, it's awesome. You're going to love it. Okay, let's get in the car. We're in the car. About half an hour goes by. Hey, dad, are we there yet? (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. We have to drive through the desert. Oh, no. 
and the the I remember being in the car and driving across, and then all of a sudden the complaining happens, right? Dad, I'm hungry. Let's stop and eat. My dad's like, we, get, we pack snacks. We're, we got to go. I'm like, no, no, I want French fries. I want French fries. The Israelites going through the desert. Moses, we're hungry. We're in the desert. We're dying. It would be better if we were back in Egypt. Moses goes to God. The people are complaining. They're hungry. They need something. God says, don't worry. You think that I would split the Red Sea, bring you into the desert, promise you the promised land, and not take care of your food in the desert? I've got you. Check it out. In the morning, you're going to wake up. There's going to be this fluffy stuff on the ground. You can take it. You can bake it and have bread every morning bread, magic bread that you can just have. So God gives the Israelites bread, takes care of their food. They start traveling down the road a little bit more. I'm, I'm traveling down the road in, in the car with my dad. and go, Dad, I'm thirsty. Cool, we pack some water. No, I want soda. <laughs> the Israelites say to God, God, why did you bring us out into this desert to die? of thirst. It would be better for us to be slaves back in Egypt. God says, oh my goodness, do you think that I would part the Red Sea, that I would promise you the promised land only to bring you out into this desert and not take care of your thirst? I'm going to take care of your thirst. Says to Moses, strike this rock, give them water. He strikes the rock, the people have water. At a certain point, at a certain point, the Israelites have had enough. They said, you know what? This is not good enough. This bread, ugh, gross. We want some good meat. I imagine God saying, are you kidding me? <laughs> We're on the way to the promised land. We got to go. I've given you magic bread from heaven. It's not good enough? No, God, we want some meat. He says, okay, all right. In the morning, uh, one day a week, quail will come down and they'll be eating the manna. And that will be fresh pickings. You kill those quail and get whatever you want. So God has taken care of them, has given in to their complaints, given them food, given them water, given them meat. And then at a certain point, the Israelites say, you know what? We're not on, we don't want this journey anymore. We want a new God. It would be as if I was riding in the back seat with my dad and, and my dad stopped at every McDonald's that I asked him to stop at and gave me food and gave me time to play at every one of these times. And then at a certain point in the drive all the way to Disney World, I said, you know what, dad, pull over. I want a new dad. <laughs> I want a new car. I don't believe you. I don't think Disney World even exists. And so God says to the Israelites, fine, I am dead done. I am done. And you can imagine that. Parents, you can sympathize with that a little bit. <laughs> Fine. We're not going. God says to Moses, you take the people. You guys get going. I'm done. Um, whatever happens to you guys, good luck. Moses pleads with God, says, God, no. If you're not going with us, we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere without you. We can't do it without you, God. And then Moses appeals to God's nature. He says, God, you are the God of love. 
You are the God of compassion. You're the one that, it, that forgives the people when they complain, forgives the people when they go off the rails. God, this is who you are. You've made a name for yourself as the God of love and the God of compassion. What's going to happen if these people who you led out to the desert die in the desert? What will the people say about you? And so God says to Moses, Moses, man, you know me. You got me. I can't give up on these people. I love them. Let's get them there together. Then Moses says, actually, okay, cool, God, but we need something from you. I need something from you. You've asked us to trust in the promised land. You've asked us to trust that we're going to get there. God, I need a preview. I need to know what it's like. I need to see what you can do. Moses says to God, God, show me your glorious presence. God says, whew, boy, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what you're asking for. I can't give you the full show. I can't give you the full glory. Otherwise, your face will melt off. We've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? And so God says, here's the deal. The Lord said, you can't see my face because no one can see me and live but I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take away my hand and you'll see my back, but my face won't be visible. Moses says, deal. And I don't know, I can't imagine exactly how it happened, but, but Moses gets into a cave, an earthquake comes by, a fire comes by, a tornado comes by, and then kind of God takes away his hand and who even knows what this could look like? But Moses gets a glimpse of God's backside. <laughs> Moses gets a glimpse of God walking away. And from that moment, Moses' face is lit up. Moses' face shines. And Moses takes his shiny face down to the people. And he says, I've seen a preview. I believe the promised land is happening. Take a look at my face. This is real. Let's get going again. God gives that preview to Moses. God is always giving previews to us. God has given us tons of promises, and God has always been gracious with the previews, saying, I know we're going someplace. I know I've promised you big things. We're not there yet, but you got to trust me. Let me give you a little bit of a preview. This Sunday, today is Transfiguration Sunday. We read the scripture earlier, the moment when Jesus transforms. This has been a kind of a strange story to me, but it's somehow linked to Moses seeing the glory of God or getting a glimpse of God's glory. Here the disciples get a glimpse of Jesus' full glory. The Transfiguration is a preview of what's to come. And so we get into the scripture a little bit. Why do they need this preview? Uh, the scripture this morning, uh, Matthew 17, 1, starts with this, six days later. Six days later. That's interesting. Six days after what, we have to ask ourselves. The Bible was not originally written with all these chapter and verse numbers in it. So sometimes when we read and follow along by chapter and by verse, we miss some stuff 
in the scriptures. So six days later, Jesus has to give them this preview. Something big happened six days ago. So what happened six days ago? Six days ago, um, Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, as he usually did. And he says to them, he strikes up a conversation, so, hey, people, what are people out there saying about me? We've been doing these miracles, we've been doing these teachings, and uh, so what are people saying? Who do they think I am? And the disciples say, well, they think, uh, some of them think you're just a really excellent teacher, which you are, Jesus. Some of them say you're a miraculous healer, some say you're a magician, some say you're a prophet. Some say that you're Elijah or that you're John the Baptist come back to life. Now, there's a lot, of, a lot of chatter out there. And Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And all the disciples kind of get quiet and Peter decides to speak up. Peter says, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the promised one that's going to usher in this new era. You're going to restore the kingdom. You're going to bring in a kingdom of peace, of love, where God reigns. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And Jesus, Jesus just beams. You ever be in class and the teacher asks a question and you know the answer and you raise your hand and you nail that question and you get it right? You just feel good. The teacher feels good. Everybody else is jealous of you. (laughs) And so Jesus says to Simon, his name was Simon at the time, he says, from now on you are going to be Peter, which means the rock. And I will build my church on this rock. And the gates of Hades will not overcome the church. Whew! Those are some good accolades. Those are some good accolades. So Jesus, happy with his disciples, happy with his students, they're finally getting it. He says, okay, now let me tell you what a, what a Messiah does, what the Son of God does, what the King does. The King gives his life for others. The King will suffer and die. The Messiah will give up his life so that others can live. At this, Peter He can't help himself again. He speaks up. He says, no, not on my watch. Absolutely not. I will guarantee that you do not die. You do not get to die while I'm around. All of a sudden, Jesus flares up. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Woo! You ever uh, raise your hand in class and get the question wrong in front of everybody? (laughs) Everybody looks at you. There's this moment. He says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stone that could make me stumble. You are wrong. This is what a Messiah does. The Messiah lives by sacrificial love. The Messiah gives up his life for all others. Peter kind of put in his place, maybe thinking, okay, maybe I don't know what I thought I knew. And then Jesus says to the rest of the disciples, who are a little shaken up by this message, he says, yeah, the Messiah is going to die. And here's the thing. If you want to follow me, you will also die. He says to all the disciples, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, 
They must take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Up to this point, Jesus has just been talking about the kingdom of God, how beautiful it's going to be. The kingdom of God where love reigns in all things, where there is joy, where there is peace, where God is the Lord of all. And the disciples are on board for the kingdom of God. They say, yeah, we want that. And now Jesus says, but there's a desert to go through first. There is some work to go through. It's going to require sacrifice. There will be suffering along the road. And if you want to come with me, if you want to be in the kingdom, if you want to experience that goodness, that glory, you got to deny yourselves. You got to take up your cross. You have to die. If your only concern is to save your life, then you're going to lose your life. But if you freely give of yourself, if you freely sacrifice and give, then then you'll enter in the, into the kingdom. Then you'll know what it is to be a part of my kingdom. Whew, that's a tough message. And I can imagine the disciples reeling after that message. And so Jesus thinks to himself, okay, these people need a preview. They need a preview. So six days later, he invites Peter James and John, he says, hey, come up here. Come up to this mountain. I want to show you something. I want to show you something. He invites them up to the mountain. There on the top of the mountain, Jesus is changed. He's transfigured in some way. He starts to glow brightly. He shines. All of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up next to him. Moses representing the law Elijah representing the prophets. And so Jesus is there with the history of Israel and the clouds open up. And I can't imagine what that looks like. And one, one author said this, that it's like when music or when words are set to music, they are transformed. In the same way here, Jesus is set to music and transformed. There is something beautiful, shiny, bright about Jesus. The, the disciples, they're stunned. Peter, who can't help but open his mouth over and over again, says, Jesus, what should we do? I'm going str- to build some shrines. Let's worship. I'm going to worship Moses and Elijah and you. Can I build some shrines? And before And Jesus can say anything, a voice from heaven shouts out, this is my beloved son, the creator of the universe, the the mysterious God, the divine that holds all things together, speaks and says, this is my son, believe him, you can trust in him. When he says that the kingdom is coming, you can trust in him. When he says that there's going to be some suffering, there's going to be some difficulty, but the kingdom is still coming, you can trust in him. Look at him. Glory is coming. And then Jesus 
comes back to normal color. <laughs> Jesus comes back to normal phase. Moses and Elijah are gone. The clouds come back. And the first words Jesus says to his disciples is, get up and don't be afraid. Get up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the life that we're going towards. Don't be afraid of what's in front of us. I promise you, as we work together, even as we suffer together, the kingdom of God is coming. We are building a world where all things are made right. It won't always be rosy, but I promise you it's coming. Here is this preview. Here is this glimpse of glory for you. I imagine that Jesus is saying to his disciples, if this mountain is this good, if this moment is this good, then imagine what the kingdom is going to be like. Glorious, beautiful. But in the meantime, what's our message? Get up and don't be afraid. Get up and don't be afraid. We have work to do. We have more to give. We have more to share with this world. God's kingdom is coming and we are building it. We are guiding it. We are a part of the process. Sometimes it feels like it's never going to come. And so God says, well, you need a preview. Well, you need a preview. Church is a preview of heaven. When we gather together, when we care for each other, when we love each other, when we forgive one another, we are giving ourselves a preview of heaven, what the world is going to be like. When we live correctly, when we dismantle, when we dismantle systems of oppression, systems of racism, systems of hate, we are proclaiming a world that is coming where all things are made right. We are giving the world a preview of the kingdom. You are a preview of the kingdom. Our work is to trust in Jesus, to believe in him, to listen and follow Jesus. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. It's a lot like when my kids found out that they were going to Disney World and then Joanna and I found out, oh, if they're going to fully enjoy or know anything about Disney World, then we've got a lot of work to do. We gotta start watching all those movies. When we come to church, when we read scripture together, when we pray with one another, we're doing that work that gets us ready for heaven, but it also gets us ready to bring heaven into this world. When we come to this table, when we experience communion, we are getting that glimpse of Jesus here and now. We ask God to show us your glory, give us a glimpse we can't contain all of God's glory, but God is always happy to give us a glimpse, a moment, a moment of glory so that we know that there is a promised land on the other side of this desert, that we know there is a kingdom on the other side of this suffering. And God gives us this glimpse to strengthen us for that journey. That's what we do when we come to this table. Let's come to this table together.